Welcome to City Life. As Jamie already said, we're happy you're here on your Memorial Day weekend, day one of what might be a three-day weekend for many of you, where we can honor and give thanks to everything that video just highlighted. Um, but if I could right now just thank Demetria. Thank you for everybody serving on the worship team. That was a powerful worship set. Come on. We could have gone acoustic, no mics, and everybody would have still been blessed. But uh, I want to welcome you. And can we just, can we do something? Can we just jump right into scripture tonight? Are you ready to receive the word from God? Can we go to Romans 12, verses 1 through 5? Some of this is going to be familiar just because of the series we're in, but I want to go all the way to verse 5. Romans 12, verses 1 through 5. It's, it says, I'm reading now the New Living. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Come on, those first couple verses we've been highlighting in this series we've been in, it's been called Rethink Church. Because we've been looking at this passage, especially verses 1 and 2. Again, we're in the amplified version. It says, don't conform but be transformed and progressively changed by the renewing of your mind. And we're just looking and reflecting on this fact that our transformation, it doesn't all happen at once, like those Disney moments where the, the fairy dust comes down and you're just transformed. Our, our, the work of God in us is a, is a work in progress, right? Jesus did what he did on the cross and it is finished, but in terms of our life and our hearts becoming more and more like Jesus, we're all works in progress. And, and sometimes that Renewing of our mind, that progress we need, it's not necessarily learning something new, but it's rethinking and reconsidering those disciplines we walk in. As we've been in this series, we've been looking at what we call at this church the 12 pathways, just 12 disciplines we believe you'll walk down if you're following Jesus Christ. And tonight, I simply, though, I want to start with the idea of, of rethinking church because I remember Years and years ago, I just graduated college, and some of my friends and I was a new follower of Christ. We're just talking about church. And one of my friends uh, said, just in kind of like a, a retweet that mic drop moment, he said, well, do you love God? Then you're a part of the church. And I had to think about it when he said it, and, and it's always stuck with me because there's shades of truth to that when you consider the church. And I've heard the idea repeated time and time again. But the question is, how are we defining church? What do we think of when we say church? Because, again, as we open this series with definitions matter, meanings matter. Something I say might mean one thing to me, and, and, and something you say might mean one thing to you. For example, Haley, Norvell and Haley. She might already know what I'm talking about. I want to say it was the first week you came. We were talking after service, and we have something in common. Uh, Nate Nowatney, the Nowatneys, myself, we, we've both done youth ministry, and she has also served youth, and we were just in a conversation, and she was speaking of a time she was with the youth, and she said, we were chasing them with torches, and in my mind, I'm like, well, she just scored crazy cool points, because I never had the guts to chase any kids with torches, right? That's like some Hunger Games level games at youth, and it's also a, a recipe for a lawsuit, so Nate 
Nate said, well, pause, pause. You were chasing kids with torches? And she explained, as I've come to know, that in most countries outside of the U.S., flashlights are torches. But in that moment, what she was saying, it meant something different to each of us. The mental picture I had was very different than the mental picture she had. And it's not just our country and other countries, even within our country. Uh, My parents are from the north. I started in Massachusetts, New York, slowly made my way down south. And in the north, if you say, give me some sugar, right, somebody will go to the kitchen, probably eat pantry, get you some sugar. You say, give me some sugar in the south, you're probably either going to get slapped or kissed, right? One of the two. (laughs) Slapped because you're, you're too fresh for somebody. It means different things for different people. And when we talk about the church, we talk about being a part of the church. What's the, what's the idea we're working from? Is it just having fellowship with our Heavenly Father? Is it just knowing God, or, or does it go deeper than that? And, and how deep does it go? You know, a question I've heard many times since I started following Christ is, you know, do Christians have to go to church? It's a common question. Do Christians have to go to church? It's a good question. It's a common question. But when you think about it in light of scripture, it's also an odd one because the status implies a relationship. For instance, when Steph and I were in marital counseling, I didn't say, well, I want to marry Steph. I want want to be your husband. I want her to be my wife. Um, I want to have and hold better, worse, all that jazz. But do we really have to live together? Can, Can we Figure something else out, right? I didn't ask that. The status implies a relationship. When we were going to adopt Raj, it wasn't like, yes, we want to adopt him. I want to be his father. I want him to be my son. But can he, like, live down the street and we just see him, like, every other day? No, that would be ludicrous because, again, the status, I'm his father, it implies relationship. And, again, when you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, which we'll dig into tonight, the question, do I have to go to church, it becomes equally this head scratcher. Because, again, the status implies a relationship. When you become a Christian, you become a son and daughter of God. It implies that we're going to have relationship with God the Father. But there's also a relationship that we're called to have with the family of faith. You look at Romans 12, the passage we just read. Romans 12, 1 through 2, is, it, it's powerful. It's read again and again in, in sermons, and it's read again and again in devotions, and it's, it's a powerful passage. And we see in the relationship of verses 1 through 2 to the rest of the verses we read that I can't fully step into transformation and fully renew my mind unless I have the active help of the family of faith. It's called to take place in and through the church. I love verse 5 where it says, each member belongs to all of the others. The body of Christ is incomplete without us and will be incomplete unless we step into the community that comes in the family of faith. Because there are pathways, there are spiritual disciplines that we can't walk down unless we're doing it with others. Three specifically we're going to talk about tonight, gathering, relationship, and accountability. And it's not just here in Romans. You see elsewhere in Scripture, when you think of the relationship of God the Father, and the relationship we're called to have with the family of faith, I think 1 John 1.7 is, is very telling. Because it says if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we will have fellowship with God. Only that's not what it says. It says if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we'll have fellowship with each other. It's powerful to me that the bottom line here is, is fellowship with each other. It's, it's community. Jesus said himself in John 13.35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Again, he could have said, your love for God will prove to the world that you're my disciples. That would have made perfect sense to me. But he says, it's your love for one another. It's your love for one another. 
But what is this fellowship with each other that, that John speaks of? What does that look like? What is this love for one another that Jesus speaks of? What does that encompass? Because these two verses, they make it very clear that we're not called in life to live as solitary saints or, or holy hermits. We're, we're called to walk these pathways of gathering, relationship, and accountability. And, and as we step into these thoughts, I want to turn also to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, where we see some of the first Christian converts gathered together as Christians. It says, as a heading in my Bible, again, the New Living Translation, it says, the believers form a community. And it says in verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Every day people were added to the fellowship. We see early in the church that Christianity is by nature a community religion, that the the natural impulse by nature is to be with other people that love God in the same way, to hear teaching so that we can know him better, to love those people as an expression of our love for God and to praise God together. You know, if, if it's the confession of our mouth that I go to church, that's awesome. But you can go to church and just attend it as an organization. You can go to church and slip in and out of a crowd when God invites us to create a community, as we see in Acts chapter 2. When, when you go from I go to church to confess that I am the church, that becomes transformational. Because you're not just attending an organization, you're now a part of an organism. One of the most powerful, uh, common, recognized analogies for the church in Scripture is of a body, of an organism, a life form, a form of life, a, a way that God blesses us with life as we follow him. Yet as my friend who I had this conversation with years ago, he would say, well, I am the church, and he would stay home from any local gathering. And in regards to the body, that's kind of like the hand from the Adams family. I don't know if it had a name. But, you know, just the hand that was disconnected from the hand, it, I'm going to trust them. Y'all are too young, all right? The hand, it was it. He'll fight you later. Just kidding. (laughs) We're talking three fingers away from basically being a a spider. It was just a hand, okay? Adam's family, if you haven't seen it, don't worry about it. It was a hand disconnected from the body. If you would say, I am the church, but you live away from a a local, visible group of people following God, then you're a lot like a hand disconnected from the body. You're not walking in the full purpose God has for you. You know, you might be a part of the body, but you're, you're cut off from your true purpose. You know, full relationship in the family of faith, it happens through these three pathways. Gathering, through relationship, and through accountability. But our culture, it celebrates much of the opposite. Our culture celebrates individualism. Now, if I had to define individualism, I looked it up. It's the habit or principle of being independent or self-reliant. If you think about it, left on our own in our culture, we embrace this. We live lives of independence with about as little interference from people who don't think like us as possible. 
You know, we might open up compartments of our lives from time to time as necessary. Like if we're looking for healing, we might go to a professional who, who can minister to us aside from knowing us personally and do it in a professional but detached manner. And as a result, it becomes easy to live a life of transient relationships. You know, where you make that vow that I want to be husband and wife, but then when the feeling slips away and somebody else brings that feeling, then you slide right into the next relationship. Or you slide from one job to another. Like people that have worked at one job these days for decades are becoming like a unicorn. It's rare. And unfortunately, you talk about marriage, marriages that have lasted for decades and decades, they're becoming more and more rare. It's because of this idol of individualism that's even infiltrated the church. I mean, you look at how it's affected uh, not just community, but it can affect us as individuals. It can affect the way we read the Bible. It says in Acts 2 that we just read that the first two things they devoted themselves, that's joined by a conjunction before a comma, is fellowship, or excuse me, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. You know, new believers, I know it was for me and for many, you, you learn the importance of the word. You learn to rightly divide the word of truth in community with people who can help you through. Because let's be serious, you start reading the Bible from the beginning, some of it's strange, you need answers to your questions, community helps with that. But individualism, it can also lead to an improper handling of God's word because it becomes about me. And if I'm honest, I slip into this all the time. I'm in devotions and I'm like, God, speak to my situation, right? Help me this morning. Help me. I need your help. And we can start to read it and think it's about me when really, first and foremost, Scripture is about Jesus. Secondly, it's about God's people. And it's so powerful. Like, I love Ephesians. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It breaks down the, the spiritual growth that we're called to, growing in holiness. It breaks down putting on the armor of God. It breaks down serving God. And throughout that book, you see the pronoun you. And I just assume it's speaking to me. But in the Greek, if you look at the Greek, that word throughout Ephesians is not me. It's we. It's a, it's a, a plural pronoun. It's speaking to the church as a whole, that all these things I love that's in Ephesians, I'm called to do as a part of a community, as a part of a bigger we, not just me. That my walk of faith, it's, it's called to be a community project in the family of faith. But it doesn't just affect the way we read the Bible, individualism. It also, it can affect the way we go into the world to seek to build God's kingdom. So often we cry out, man, God, give me your purpose, give me your plan. But the reason we miss it is because it's bigger than just us. <laughs> it's bigger than just me. It's, it's a part of we. You know, whatever calling you may have, unless you embrace community, God's call to community, you will walk in all of the fullness and richness of that calling that God has upon your life. You know, so many people, they, they want to change the world, but they haven't gotten rooted in one place long enough for God to change them. And part of that is because of the spirit of individualism that affects the way we deal with church. Because individualism rears its head in dealing with church through just this, this spirit of consumerism. You know, we look to the church to give us our needs rather than how can we meet the needs of God's church. Now, it should go both ways, but we need to see, man, how am I called to serve the church and be a part of this community? You know, so often we, we look for the ideal and we get to, to hopping from one place to another, calling ourselves disciples but living as, as drifters, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's got a great name and he's got a lot of great quotes. He says, those who love their dream of a Christian community, more than they love the Christian community itself, become destroyers of that Christian community. 
Let's read that again. Those who love their dream of a Christian community, their ideal, right, more than they love the Christian community itself, they become destroyers of that Christian community. You might say, well, that's too harsh. Well, let's, let's go to the Bible then. In Proverbs 18.1, it says, those who care only for themselves spit on the common good. Man, God calls you to a community of real people, not ideal people. You'll look for that forever, right? He calls you to a, a group of real people to do life with, the community of faith. And it's not just for the good of the church, right? It is for the good of the church. How can I serve the church? It's also for the good of us. Because where our culture sees and prizes individualism, come on, the enemy, our enemy, it sees isolation. Where our culture celebrates individualism, if we live in individual faith, our enemy is celebrating because we're isolated. It's like you see so often in, in nature, there's, there's safety in numbers. When a shark goes into a school of fish or a, a wolf or a, a a predator goes into a pack of animals. It's the one that gets isolated, that gets eliminated. And when we celebrate this, you know, doing it my way, doing it on my own, the enemy's like, good, right? Embrace that individualism, that independence, because the enemy sees isolation. You know, our son Raj, Titus Shivraj, he, like many orphans, he grew up in an orphanage. And uh, it stunts an orphan's development. The, the, the equation, the common baseline that adoption specialists work from is that for every year a child spends in an orphanage, you can expect them to be about four months behind developmentally. Physically, you're talking walking, uh, talking, uh, using the potty, uh, any of that. Physical development is hindered about four months for every year. And it's also relational development. You know, being able to relate to people and, and relate to other human beings and no matter what our family background is but with, as believers, maybe we grew up with our parents, maybe we didn't. Spiritually, it's the same with our development. We're not called to, to live as spiritual orphans because there's a development that won't happen if we live as spiritual orphans or solitary saints or holy hermits, whatever you want to call it. Because family, come on, family is like the school of, of love. It's where you learn like the economy of love. I love that Raj has been with us now Almost three months. It'll be three months on June 9th that he's been with us. And already, come on, in an orphanage, if you want a toy, you fight for it. <laughs> your food is your food. It's for your survival. You're not sharing it. But he's been with us for about two and a half months. And, and past couple of weeks, he started, he'll, he'll take his puffs and he'll be like, here's to Steph. And like, here, have some. Or he's got like his favorite toy. And, and he'll start, you know, handing that to us to share. It's powerful that as he's become a part of a family, Again, it's a school of love where you begin to, your, your focus that's so much on self can become a heart of compassion where you be, see the needs of your family, you see the needs of those around you, and then as a family, seeing the needs of your community, your neighborhood, the needs of the church, right? But school or family, it's the same with the family of faith. It's like the school of love where we learn to, to move in compassion rather than always be concerned with self, there's purpose to community. Community quickens uh, the, the heart of humility. It, it quickens the process of purity. It, it quickens us to the duty we have of making disciples. And here's something that's key to recognize tonight. You know, in the world, we would think, especially Raj or, or, or a child, we think, come on, the more they grow, the more they mature, the more independent they will be. And there's truth to that, right? Like, I don't want Raj living in the house at 28 in our basement, right? I want him to grow in independence. But spiritually, your growth doesn't, uh, it doesn't decrease dependence. It actually increases it. Growth is the fruit of dependence. 
Right? We're not called to graduate from community at any part in our walk. We're called to go deeper and deeper into community and, and serving the church and building God's kingdom alongside fellow believers. You never graduate from that. It, growth doesn't decrease dependence, but growth is the fruit of dependence in our spiritual walk. Because the kingdom isn't advanced by an army of one. Right? The kingdom is all about uh, one another. It's defined by one another. More than 50 times in the New Testament, we see either the phrase one another or each other or a simple variant of that. We opened with three of them already. Romans 12, 5, John 13, 35, and 1 John 1, 7. They all had an each other or one another in it. Here's just a few of the others. Serve one another. Accept one another. Forgive one another. Greet one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Teach one another. Submit to one another encourage one another. I could go on and on. And again, there's over 50. We could hit on one a week for a year and still be learning about all the ways God calls us into community through these one another's. But I want to just look at three tonight that define the church and the pathways of gathering, relationship, and accountability. And the first is on this list, and it's greet one another. We see it in Romans 16. It's actually in, in, in Romans 16.1 that Paul commends Phoebe to the church in Rome. And it's this idea where we focus on inclusion, not exclusion, on being ex inclusive, excuse me, not exclusive. And it speaks to this pathway of gathering, of creating a crowd, of pursuing God together. Because Paul, he tells the church in Rome, hey, welcome Phoebe, greet her. And then for the next, I believe, 16 verses, that whole chapter, he says, greet so-and-so for me. Greet this person. Greet that person. And you begin to realize that at one point, every one of these people was a Phoebe, looking for a home where they themselves could be greeted, embraced, and give themselves to gathering. You know, I grew up... Watch, watching the Marx Brothers. Anybody else watch the Marx Brothers? Yeah, Three Stooges, whatever. Marx Brothers are where it's at. Groucho Marx once famously said, I don't want to belong to any club that would accept me as one of its members. Right? I don't want to belong to any club that would accept me as one of its members. And it, it speaks to this notion of exclusivity. And it's similar to the lie that the enemy feeds us and souls into so many minds, that I got to get my life right before I go to church. I got to get my life right before I come to Christ because, man, if, if people knew me like I knew me, I wouldn't accept myself. But it's, it's a lie from the enemy, right? In sowing this thought, he keeps so many people from gathering, to coming to the family of faith and creating a crowd that, man, it creates community and the relationships it, it fosters. Our perception of ourselves. Come on, again, this idea that, man, I know myself better than anybody, and if everybody else knew me like I know me, would they still love me, right? Sometimes our perception of self, it keeps us from the reception that we find through the grace of Jesus Christ, not just with God the Father, but with his family. And the enemy knows this, and he milks it for all it's worth. But nothing drives shame away like being fully known and still accepted, even delighted in, right, both by God and by his people. It's the power of, of greeting and hospitality. It's holding the door open to our gathering. There's an account of a pastor's wife I know who, she wasn't like, what is it, the hostess with the mostess? Is that what the phrase is? Uh, she wasn't gifted in hosting. Some people are like, that's them. Like, they host people. They do gatherings, and people love to be there. She wasn't that. 
But she stepped into that, and she would invite people over to her house, and, you know, things weren't perfect. The house wasn't perfect. The food wasn't perfect. And, and at the end of the night, the person didn't say to her, well, you're a mess, so I don't want anything to do with you. The person said to her at the end of the night, I used to think you were perfect, but now I think we can be friends, right? That's the power of greeting and hospitality that should define our gathering. So props to SLT, all these blue shirts, right? There's people every week that greet folks as they come through the door. That's the first impression. Come on, we want people to feel like they're being welcomed into not just a gathering, not just a crowd, but a community, a family of faith where you walk in that door to worship Jesus. You're my brother, you're my sister, right? But Paul isn't just talking about greeting at a door. Paul's talking to something that goes much deeper. You look at Acts 2.46 that we read earlier, and we can assume that early believers, they were meeting with each other in different homes for their version of, of church and quote-unquote life groups, what we call life groups, which you see a table for out there in the lobby. The crowd represented at Pentecost. The thousands that came to the church, they, they went on to form a community. They went on to form a family of faith. So practical advice tonight in the middle of my sermon. <laughs> Find a life group. There's that table out there, Paul and Stephanie Birch. Man, raise your hands where you're at. They'll be at the table. And there's five, six, seven life groups. You probably know that. Half dozen, that's generic, life groups that you can get plugged in at. And you might say, well, well, the, the, the content doesn't interest me. Well, man, be interested in connecting. There's a work of connection that we're called to do to be a part of the family of faith. So find one, get rooted, and get plugged in. Because the gathering we talk about, it both encompasses public ministry and private ministry. And what am I talking about? This, this is public ministry right now, digging into the foundational perspective-shaping truth that hopefully deepens our relationship with Christ. But private ministry is, again, that gathering that happens outside of this where you take the general foundational truths and you, that everyone has been hearing and you apply them with specificity and you apply them and, and talk to each other about how it's being walked out in, in your life. And you're real, you're authentic, and it's what we call doing life together. And neither form of gathering is a luxury if we want to step into the full transformation God has for us. In a survey done recently, it found what were clearly the top two reasons that in the church we don't host and invite people over uh, outside of the weekend more often. And the top two reasons were uh, inadequate furnishings, right? Like my house just isn't good enough. Like I, my house isn't uh, nice enough to be inviting people over. And the second was just having guests over is plain frightening, right? Some of us can relate to that. You know, just about every bathroom in our house right now has a potty in it. Because Raj is learning. Hey, can I brag on him? 12 straight days, right? He's used the potty. Diapers are dry these days. It's a beautiful thing. Y'all can, can give it up for that. You can brag. I can brag on him. But uh, surrounding those potties are toys, distractions, in layman's terms, a mess. <laughs> like my house is a mess right now. We have a toddler, right? But we need to learn the same lesson that Jesus taught Martha. That the food, the furnishings, the feng shui, that's all secondary to the fellowship. All those things are important. I'm not going to invite you over. We'll pick up a little bit before you come over. But really, those things are all secondary to the fellowship, the gathering, to the getting to know each other and community. You know, may we be a church that gets creative in gathering, that, that creates a crowd that ushers in community from weekend services to those life groups to baptisms in a barbecue to fun before the 4th, Oktoberfest, all these things we're doing so that we can, one, create a crowd, but then invite people into community to the family of faith that we're all called to get rooted in. And may we always be inclusive and not exclusive. But secondly, 
That's gathering. I want to speak to relationship. And we find that in the phrase, be devoted to one another. It's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And to do that, we have to focus on one another's development and not focus on your deficiencies. Because when you do that, you can walk in relationship. That over a lifetime, you'll see people develop and grow in their identity in Christ. Francis Chan, he tells this story of a gang member who joined his church. And he compared being jumped into the gang to joining the church. And these are Francis Chan's words. He says, there was this guy that came to my church once. And he was a part of a gang, and he decided to ditch everything and follow Jesus, and he got baptized. And after a while, though, he stopped coming to the church gatherings, and one of my buddies asked him, where have you been? He said, when I got baptized, I thought it was going to be like when I got jumped into the gang. When I got jumped into my gang, suddenly everyone had my back. We became like family 24-7. So when I got baptized, I thought, this is what's going to happen with the Christians. I didn't know that it was just Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. I thought it was going to be like family. I just... I had it wrong in my head. And when you hear that, you think, no, he's got it right. You know, we've got it wrong. You know, we've lost what being devoted to one another looks like. All right? You can say you love somebody. You can express that in a moment, but you prove that over time through devotion, doing life together. And I don't know this guy's story. I don't know if at some of these events or, or, or services, if he caught a cold shoulder because of what he was coming out of or the fact he didn't fit the mold or he had rough edges. But again, <laughs> we got to focus on development, not the deficiencies. I mean, there's a great quote by Carlo Corretto. He's an author where he starts and he says, God loves what is not yet. He says, God loves what is not yet, what is still to come to birth. What we love in a person is what already is, virtue, beauty, courage, and hence our love is self-interested and fragile. God, loving what is not yet and putting faith in us, continually begets us since love is what begets. Love is what helps us emerge from our darkness and draws us to the light. And this is such a fine thing to do that God invites us to do the same. Come on, may we dare to love people in their not yet. Your devotion will be self-interested and fragile if it only focuses on what is already. But we're all works in progress. So when you don't like people for who they are, you can't respect what they've done, then learn to love people for, for what God's calling them to be. Because as it says here, come on, love is what helps us emerge from our darkness. Let's see people as God sees them. You know, I don't know if your family did it, but when I was a kid, we used to have the, the door frame where it used to mark, right, as you grew where you were at, and it was depressing for me because my brother's six foot four, so my whole childhood, he was either catching up to me at an alarming rate or just way taller than me, and he's younger than me. It's a rabbit trail I won't go down. It's just bitterness. Y'all can pray for me later. But there was no point where I'm like four foot nothing, and my parents said, well, looks like you're never going to be able to ride that roller coaster you want to ride, right? Or looks like you're never going to live up to play basketball because you're four foot nothing, even though I played and I'm still short. But nobody ever said, hey, you're disqualified from this, that, and the third because you're only four feet tall, right? Yet so often we do that in their spiritual walks where we'll pigeonhole them or we'll see them as, as where they're at in their spiritual development is who they are when, again, we're all works in progress. And there's a liberation in that realization that we are all unfinished products. But, you know, all that said, there's a time when your potential, it reaches an expiration date. Right? When you stand before God and you've either surrendered in love to God or you haven't. We don't know when that is for each of us. Right? When we've grown as God's called us to grow or we haven't. 
And we've rejected that. And we don't know when that is. But that shouldn't lead to us uh, running from the gathering we're called to and the relationship we're called to. It, it should lead to us running to church because at church, in the family of faith, the body of believers, we need accountability. The, the, the pathway our last one another indirectly addresses when it says in Hebrews 10, 24, it says spur one another on. To spur one another on to good deeds. And we got to recognize that, that hard conversations are often catalysts to growth. Hard conversations can sometimes be the most healthy contributions to the growth that God is calling you to. Why do I say that? You read spur one another. I'm a sports fanatic. I think of the San Antonio Spurs, right? That's the image of the spur that hits the horse. That's not a pretty picture. But other translations, they translate it as uh, stimulate one another, motivate one another, stir one another up to good deeds. The Greek word for it, uh, it can be translated to stir up. It means a sudden convulsion or violent emotion. And normally when we see it in the rest of the New Testament, it's not a pleasant situation. For example, there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts. And the question I want us to ask ourselves tonight is, is who's allowed to have a sharp disagreement with me in my life? Is there anybody whose no gives me pause? <laughs> Who can have a hard conversation with you and, and you don't shut down, but you, you step up? Who has a relationship with you that you could call a permission-giving relationship? Again, where their no gives you pause and their yes gives you permission because that's accountability. So often in life, we'll only overcome deeply rooted issues, those life scripts that we operate from again and again through accountability, through those relationships that hold us accountable. And Paul didn't just have a hard conversation with Barnabas. In Galatians 2, he has a, a hard conversation with Peter. And we should note that he, he, he speaks of this conversation in Galatians after he says, hey, basically he says, hey, Peter's a good guy. <laughs> His work is in agreement with my ministry, my gospel, that Peter was a peer, he's a friend, he's an ally, he's a leader, he was a pillar of the church. But we should take note because God is infallible, he's perfect, his word is infallible and perfect, but his people aren't. <laughs> we drift, leaders too. I need accountability. We all need accountability because as Peter did, we can drift, we can sometimes do it blindly. We all have blind spots. We need Pauls in our life that are willing and know that they're allowed to have hard conversations with us. Because what had happened with Peter is he developed this racist habit out of fear. Because he typically did life with the Gentiles. He was the one that had the vision and went to Cornelius' house and realized that, hey, God's trying to reach the Gentiles. So he would typically do life with them. But when the traditional Jews would come, he would all of a sudden take a step back and not do life with the Gentiles anymore. So Paul sees this, and Paul corrects him boldly. And Peter corrects himself. And again, the question is, who has permission to have the hard conversation with you when you drift? Because we all do. We can't just spend our time in church talking about sin and how to do life right, only to fail to do anything about it in real-life situations, to talk about it in teaching but never application and accountability. And again, I don't go without it. The very structure of our church with the regional team, the, the governance team, those are permission-giving relationships. Anthony, Nate, and I, we go through a, a list to check on our hearts. Man, where are you at? We're asking ourselves tough questions, and they know that they have an open-door policy to come and confront me, to, to challenge me. They're people whose, again, no gives me pause. Because deep down, I think we all realize that we need accountability. I mean, every day I'm reminded through 
uh, real-life situations, empirical evidence that I have not yet arrived at Matthew 5:48, where Jesus says, be ye therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I got ample evidence every day that I got a little ways to go, right? And I realize that I need accountability to get there because, again, we all have blind spots. I know I have blind spots. And every day I got things I think, say, and do that point to this war that's raged inside of me between my flesh and the spirit. And again, the enemy would love for me to, in the name of independence or individualism, to do life in isolation, away from accountability. But left to our own, we all have this, I think, I think we all do. I know I talk to myself in my head. We all have this conversation about how we're doing, whether it's a literal conversation or just thoughts, like I'm doing pretty well. Accountability says, hey, you have the permission to interrupt my inner dialogue and say things that I wouldn't say to myself. You know, encouragement is good. It's mentioned in the verse right after this. You know, as a a leader, I try to keep a a mental tally. I want to encourage 10 times more than I correct, right? I want to make investments in people as much as I give accountability and receive accountability. Because encouragement is like free fuel for those around us. But I think sometimes we give accountability a bad rap where we think it's it's negative and it, it withdraws. But really, it's a deposit. Accountability builds us up. We need to rethink it because how do you think about accountability? I know for myself, I'm an introverted person by nature. So when I was a new believer and somebody would challenge me with one of my habits or something I was doing, I would shut down. I'd put up a wall because I would think, well, this person's like attacking me, right? But if you, if you submit to the spirit, if you read the words, you realize that, man, this person's not tearing me down, not beating me up. He's building me up. We don't shut down, but we step up. Again, you challenged me when I was 10 years ago, I would have shut down. But when you realize somebody's speaking to you, having this hard conversation because they love you, they're devoted to you as we're devoted to one another, then you can say, hey, in this moment, they're trying to build me up so I can, I can step up. I don't have to shut down. Again, our drift towards individualism that 10 years ago I drifted in for over a decade, not following Christ. When you live like that, even in Christianity, you can live this comfortable, private Christianity, never making yourself fully known, never finding the healing and transformation we're called to because of it. Our faith is called to be deeply personal, but it's never called to be private. And I'm not just talking it's meant to be public in the sense that we share it, we share the good news we have, but it's meant to be public in the sense of sharing our heart with members of the family of faith that God has put us in community with. Gathering, relationship, accountability, they all do that. They shock a system, though, that's been uh, raised on individualism as I was and independence as I was. But these pathways, man, they stretch us. But it's useful stretching, almost like you stretch an arrow back in a bow. Because like an arrow in a bow, community, it, it, it pulls us back before we sent, we're sent out into the world. We'll talk next week about reaching and evangelism. Man, the church isn't just a destination to show up at. It's a vehicle that God sends people out to build the kingdom. But if I could have the, the worship team come up. We'll, we'll close in worship tonight. But this work of, of gathering, of relationship, of accountability, sometimes it seems just like that. seems like work. But that tension is worth it. Again, the the tension of of putting an arrow in a bow. I remember the first time, like, you just, 
you have the little kid ones that are plastic. It's easy to pull back. And then you get like a real bow and a real arrow. And you're like, oh, there's some tension here. Like this is work to, to pull this arrow back in this bow. And, and the more we pull it back, though, the faster it'll fly. The better we pull it back, the better it'll be aimed and hit the mark. And it's the same with community. It's the same with these pathways we're called to be in because they, they stretch us. It pulls us out of the idol of individualism that we so easily drift into. It pulls us out of the comfort zone where we're never stretched, and it aims us. Again, gathering together in community, it's, it's like that, it's like family, that family of faith that teaches us the, the economy of love, teaches us not to just be concerned with self, but it aims us and directs us to areas that God is calling us to walk in compassion. And we'll talk again about reaching next week, about being sent, about evangelism. But tonight, just we talked about three pathways. Let me give you just three practical steps to walk in that as we walk out of here tonight. The first, again, is there's life groups out there. And I'm not just doing this to plug the church. I'm doing this to, to plug getting rooted, getting to know the family of faith that God has put you in. And again, you might not be stirred by content, but let God stir you to get connected to the family that he's placed you in. Secondly, we've got baptisms coming up in a little over a week. 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how we're baptized into the family. We're baptized into the body of Christ. You might have a relationship with God, but you've never taken that step. Man, we would love to baptize you in a little over a week. Grab me, uh, go to the info table after service, but that's another practical step. And then, man, just a third, so simple step. If somebody in here, you, you know anything, hey, I might like them. Maybe you will look at them and say, hey, if it wasn't for God, I might not be friends with them. Invite them anyways to coffee. Invite them to lunch or dinner. Come on, let me be real. When I was 21, 22, I was talking to Wayne the other day. Like, we were in the theater at City Life, and I looked around, and I was like, if it wasn't for Jesus, would I hang out with any of these people? And yet they're all so dear to me because of Jesus. And you know what? I got rooted there. I had, I was a bachelor, man. You invited me, like, they were saying announcements, free food, I was there, right? So that's how I got sucked into community, right? Because they were all giving the leftovers to me to go home with. It was how I survived. But in giving myself to community and gathering, I grew so much through this relationship with people that outside of Jesus, man, I maybe wouldn't have a relationship with. So find somebody tonight. Be like, hey, let's go to dinner after service. Hey, let's go to coffee next week. Whatever it is, come on, let's get rooted in the family of faith. Maybe tonight, though, you don't have any relationship with a family of faith because you don't have a relationship with God the Father. You've never stepped into that relationship, so you don't feel the call to be reconciled to those around you. But if that's you tonight, you know, we're going to go into worship. And I'm going to be up here, and I'll be here after service. And if you want to take that step and say, man, I, I don't need to just step into the family of faith. I need to step into relationship with God the Father. I would love to, one, pray for you, and two, give you some resources to, to walk that out and step into the transformation and renewing of your mind that we all so desperately need. But man, maybe you're here tonight and you simply pulled back. You took your foot off the gas because the enemy's convinced you that you don't have it all together. And it's so easy to drift into individualism and try to, to hide it all. But come on, tonight as we go into worship, can we just lay it all before the Father? And every week this altar is open. If you want to come and kneel, there's even kneelers on the side. But can we stand and can we worship? Because, again, there's a relationship we're called to with God the Father where we become Christians and 
the status implied by the relationship. And when he walks into the room and when we invite him into our hearts, man, everything changes. There's a renewing of our mind that's progressive. There's a transforming that happens. And God, tonight we ask that through the word that we've received, through the worship that we've walked in and that we're about to step into, you will continue to transform. You will continue to, to, to put your word in us, God, in a way that's going to bear fruit. Not just in our lives, but in this church. Not just in this church, but in this region you've called us, God, to have an impact in. Lord God, we treasure you. And God, because of that, we praise you and worship you in this moment. Come on, let's sing. <laughs>